Good evening, everyone. It is 7 o'clock uh, p.m. in D.C. on another Monday night. I welcome you back to another episode of the Eurasia Center Wonkcast with Casey Chambers. That's myself and Nick Klein. How's it going, Nick? It's going good. It's, uh, you know, it's been a slow, slow Monday here on the uh, here in the United States. Sounds good. I've, I've had a pretty good day as well myself. So our topic today is NATO 2030. This was a report authored in November of 2020 about the coming decade uh, in the future of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization and what that will look like. Uh, so the big question that the report asks and offers some recommendations on is what does the future of NATO look like in a changing geostrategic environment with a more assertive Russia, a rising China, and how should the 30 allies in the alliance respond? Uh, do you want to give a quick overview of what NATO is for anyone who is unaware, Nick? So I'm not going to get too specific because I'm going to assume people who are listening to the Eurasia Center wonk cast probably already have an idea of NATO. But the, you know, the general recap is that, you know, after World War II, you had the Marshall Plan. Uh, and then there was, of course, half of half of Europe was dominated by that little guy we know as the Soviet Union. Uh, and uh, I believe, was it 1949? I believe 49. 49? It was either 49 or 50, because I know they just said NATO at 70 was, it might have been 49. That would be, would be April 4th, 1949 in Washington, D.C. There we go. So, uh, that a lot the you know, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization uh, was formed obviously as a way to you know contain the spread of communism uh, in Europe um, because after World War II uh, you could say after World War One also but especially after World War II the United States learned uh, that you know whatever happened in Europe was going to affect its national security as well so containing the spread of communism in Europe was a priority. And that would essentially be the basic foundations for the reasons of, of NATO in the first place. And obviously, since then, the Soviet Union no longer exists. Uh, the core uh, issues with NATO, which it's been described as to keep the Russians out, the Germans down, and the Americans in, well except for a short four-year departure from the idea that the U.S. would always be involved in Europe, America has effectively uh, meshed, it, meshed itself and integrated itself into the continent. The Germans are certainly no longer down and are leading democratic players for uh, peace and prosperity. And NATO is still keeping the Russians out, even though the Soviet Union has not existed for a long time. Uh, and obviously, one of the, the main concerns they'll be talking about is the 2014 annexation of Crimea and illegal invasion of Eastern Ukraine. And part of the issue with NATO is that it has slowly but surely responded, but not necessarily as adeptly or adroitly enough to such a rapid change in the strategic situation on its Eastern flank. 
well, problem is Ukraine isn't a NATO member, but we'll get into that. Exactly. If, if Ukraine was a NATO member, it would be an easier uh, situation, at least from a policy standpoint, because of Article 5. Exactly. Article 5 reads that the parties agree that an armed attack against one or more of them in Europe or North America shall be considered an attack against them all. And consequently, they agree that if such an armed attack occurs, each of them an exercise of the right of individual or collective self-defense recognized by Article 51 of the Charter of the United Nations will assist the party or parties so attacked by taking forwith individually and in concert with other parties such action as it deems necessary, including the use of armed force to restore and maintain the security of the North Atlantic area. What that means is the attack on one is an attack on all. And you should expect the militaries of all NATO allies to maintain and develop a more secure situation at the end of a conflict than at the outset. And that has been the cornerstone of NATO since its founding. The goal is to maintain and preserve democracies on the European continent and through collective security to reduce the risk of war, which generally it has done well. There has not been any land battles fought on the uh, European continent in any meaningful way since World War II. Well, with the exception of, you know, that that one place in Southern Europe that, you know, we had to bomb. But um, <laughs> other than that, it's yes, yes, the, pretty well. So I certainly mean no ill will or disrespect to the Balkans, but we can also acknowledge that the civil wars and struggles that they had were not the same as oh, uh, mass no. uh, divisions and battalions of nation states going at each other, killing hundreds of thousands of people on the battlefield. Right. Yeah. In one go. Oh, for sure. Yeah. However, nation state conflict has partially come back in asymmetrical uh, forms, attacks on democracies and institutions. The Russians right now are probing NATO and its allies. Uh, you have Partnership for Peace members like Georgia or Ukraine that have been punished for their closer integration with NATO, militarily, territory being seized, etc. Ukraine, it's Crimea, Georgia would be uh, South Ossetia, Abkhazia. And also in Ukraine, the Donbass and uh, Donetsk, Luhansk. <clears throat> NATO today certainly does not look like what look like what it uh, was postured to be in 2010, when there was still the prospect of a European integrated Russia. That cer- certainly hopes had dimmed after the invasion of Georgia in 2008, but Ukraine really was a tipping point where NATO realized that its eastern flank, the Baltic states, Poland, were under threat. And the entire defense posture of the pact has uh, shored up, if you will, uh, the enhanced forward presence in the Baltic states and Poland. Uh, The rapid response force has been developed to respond uh, quickly to any concerns on on the eastern flank, specifically in relation to Russia. That's about a 30,000 soldier strong uh, integrated unit of all NATO members uh, with cohesive command and control uh, from the Supreme Allied Commander of Europe. 
So NATO today doesn't look like what was uh, proposed in the strategic concept 2010, but since then a new strategic concept hasn't been written. So effectively what NATO 2030 is, is a blueprint for what that could look like. So the main challenges that NATO faces are of course Russia and also a rising China. And the third and potentially most concerning issue that the report noted was the political disintegration of the allies, uh, hybrid attacks, asymmetrical attacks on elections, confidence, uh, psyops, if you will. Sure. And new avenues of warfare. Uh, it specifically noted uh, cyber war, cyber warfare, and uh, emerging and disruptive technology, uh, drones, uh, information warfare, the internet. Uh, certainly, counterterrorism, nonproliferation uh, maintains a serious concern. A dirty bomb in London or Paris would be catastrophic. I mean, it's a pretty, I read the document and it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty straightforward thing. Um, there wasn't actually too many surprises in it. Um, the climate change aspect, I think, was also something that uh, the alliance is going to have to deal with, uh, especially, uh, you know, you have, well, you have global emitters, uh, some of whom are uh, the usual suspects who were just mentioned, uh, China, Russia, but also India. Um, and also, of course, you know, every country, of course, is going to contribute to carbon emissions, you know, not to single, you know, three countries out, um, you know, it's, it's a worldwide issue. Uh, and, the, you know, global temps are relatively going to keep rising and being a sea-based alliance, you know, it's a, the Atlantic, I mean, Atlantic is in the name of the, you know, of the organization, uh, being a sea-based alliance, that's going to be, um, well, it's going to open up new I'd say challenges and, and also uh, risks as well when it comes to uh, maintaining North Atlantic security or, you know, even global security uh, from a military perspective, just, you know, climate change will make st things uh, that much more difficult. Which Absolutely. NATO, the, that document note, notes that the, area of responsibility will be expanding into the, the North Atlantic uh, sea route uh, towards the, is that the Antarctic or Arctic Circle? My geography is bad. No, it would be the Arctic Circle. The, Ar yeah. the Arctic Circle, yes. Uh, all the way down to the Indo-Pacific uh, uh, integration and work alongside the Republic of Korea, Japan, New Zealand, Australia. The other thing that was interesting to me is that the authors of the report were keenly aware that at this point in time, NATO can't exist as a standalone organization because of how many threats and challenges it faces and because of how they increasingly are not of a kinetic or hard power nature. Guns and tanks will not help you fight uh, Russian attacks on 
electric grids. Right. And what the what the authors recommend are cooperation with universities, researchers, uh, private industry, uh, populations themselves. If the residents of allied uh, countries, specifically weaker, less substantive democracies, are being attacked by Russia and China in psychological operations, then the battlefield is in the hearts and minds of the people. Right. Exactly. And NATO, <laughs> it, as a democratic uh, ethical alliance, isn't going to hide that it is trying to bolster its support or that it has uh, public affairs and recognition uh, goals in mind, but will we'll continue to do so to try to stem that tearing apart certain members of it, because that, that disintegration is a serious concern. It's always been a serious concern. And I'd argue, uh, I'd argue since the election, I mean, it was always, I don't know, like, you could say the problems definitely started uh, before Trump came into office, you know, there's the whole 2% uh, was the, uh, the Wales uh, summit where they all, you know, everyone agreed <laughs> they were going to, you know, spend 2% of their, but on their, of the national uh, budget on, uh, on defense. Uh, and obviously we have several members of this Alliance that uh, are not meeting uh, that, that goal. Many are, but some aren't. Um, and then, so, you know, that, that kind of tension of the 2% mark has always been, always been there. Um, there's also been, also, of course, here in the United States, there's always questions of like, well, why, why we still have, you know, troops in Europe, you know, there's always, you know, there's always been that kind of sentiment. I, I, I can't speak for Canada, maybe, maybe the same sentiment in, in Canada. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, so, you know, there's always been like the transatlantic, wh wh why, why do I need to fight for someone who, you know, might die in, in the Baltics, right? So, I mean, there's always been these tensions and that's one of the problems with uh you know well when you when you have 30 members in an alliance that's just naturally that's going to happen yeah and with a 30 member alliance with countries increasingly pursuing their own national interest including at uh the nato level one of the key findings of the report was that there needs to be greater integration and consultation amongst the allies because as the time to implement policy, to implement new technologies, as certain less democratic, shall we say, members of the Alliance are bringing down the collective uh, pretty overt tensions between Greece and Turkey are, have been boiling over in the Eastern Mediterranean, it uh, whittles away at the common security and common position of all 30 allies. I think it's important to point out too that Greece and Turkey have been doing this dance for a long time. Um, I believe both were NATO members when there was the uh, troubles in Cyprus. Um, so I mean it's it's not exact I mean it's not exactly historically unprecedented but it's you know it's always something that needs to be addressed. Um, 
and in a way it's 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 actually i mean it's strategic brilliance that they're both in the alliance because uh if well if one of them wasn't you wouldn't have a platform for uh strategic dialogue or uh or consultations or uh or even you know a hotline that the Greek MOD and the Turkish MOD use through NATO, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, it's definitely a positive thing, um, but you know, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. It's like a, you know, the, the Greeks and Greeks and Turks are definitely, um, what would you call it? If I, if I was a, if I was a policymaker in Beijing or Moscow, that would be a fault line that I'd say, yeah, that's a fault line. Absolutely. And, and that's, those are those cracks of the alliance that enemies is the wrong term, but competitor states, I think is a reasonable description, are looking to dig at. And the strength of the alliance is that you can't really leave it. It's very difficult to. There's strong normative pressures keeping allies together, keeping you know oil and gas uh, disputes from devolving into much greater security concerns but the level of consultation and integration does need to be increased because I, I in my opinion there's been an intensification of political bickering within nato the authors specifically note uh, foreign policy issues outside the scope of the north atlantic council are increasingly being, dri being driven into NATO discussions as anvils to beat other allies over the head with. And that's just, that's behavior that we should be trying to keep out of the alliance, frankly, entirely. But as you noted, one benefit is that the, the Greek and Turkish ambassadors to NATO live and work in not live isn't correct but work and collaborate in one in one building in brussels i've actually been there uh i'll see they they all live in the in the in the nato headquarters and you know in brussels they have their own uh you know their own kitchens their own apartments you know that that is incorrect there's very nice uh glass doors that they go through every morning and leave every night i've been there uh, very, very nice atrium uh Beautiful building. If you ever get the chance to uh, gain access to one of the most restricted uh, facilities on the planet, you should go. But uh, that is that is far beyond the scope of our podcast. So let's wrap it up. What is the future of NATO in your opinion? Um, I kind of think the future uh, of NATO, uh, in this opinion, is, is going to be I want to be optimistic and say it's, it's going to last till, you know, 2100. But I also, man, I, I really, like, I really worry about, uh, I, I really worry about the economic uh, dependency issues that would be happening among some NATO member states, namely Germany and Turkey, uh, Turkey with Turkstream, uh, with which is, which is a project developed with the Russians, and mainly with Germany, it's Nord Stream too, which is also a project developed with the Russians. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I, I would worry about 
those key partners becoming economically dependent on a nation which the alliance they are part of was designed to, as you mentioned, keep out. Uh, in a way, it almost starts to defeat the purpose. Um, this report talks a lot about the southern flank also. Maybe we can scroll down to that. Uh, I don't know. I forget which page it's on, if I'm being completely honest. Um, uh, I so think that's page 34. The main concern there, uh, well, there's actually a lot going on on the southern flank. Dude, you have mm -hmm. Syria, you have Iraq. Absolutely. Have uh, and we can certainly discuss the Middle East, North Africa in a future podcast. You brought up economic intrusion into the alliance, the One Belt, One Road initiative. Absolutely. I don't think we have enough time for that, for those issues tonight, but we can definitely look to schedule those on the podcast in the future. And if anyone has a specific interest in hearing more about those, feel free to uh, at Eurasia underscore center on Twitter or DM us. I do check that account frequently. I will see it and we can get your specific topic to the top of the episode list. Yeah. We'll, we'll you know, we'll take, we'll take good care. Um, but as we end, I, th in my opinion, yeah. The, oh, go ahead. yeah, in my opinion, the main issue is going to be whether political integration succeeds or not. Uh, this report specifically uh, requests lots of new policy centers and different fora and venues for engaging and meeting on issues of concern. It asks for ministerial conferences on nonproliferation, climate change, the southern flank, China, the Indo-Pacific. And I think that kind of misses the point that yeah. meetings and expert level analysis and wargaming and policy work is absolutely a component of the NATO alliance, but action integration is where your organization does or dies. And if cohesiveness doesn't return in a way that has started to fr uh, fragment and splinter, then the, the decline of the alliance could absolutely be in a our lifetime timetable. And so we'll see whether the institutional and political steps are made to bring NATO into the future or whether it continues to be uh, broken away step by step by malign actors and the admittedly large amount of issues that it has to face at once. As we end the podcast today, I'd like to bring our attention to the statistic of the week. Uh, and it is a relatively small number, one. Very small number. And it is one because that is the amount of countries required to block a consensus-based decision at the NATO level. And as you have allies that are going their own way, uh, pursuing their national interest, every time you have a member state blocking uh, policy or work and trying to sneak their uh, concern into the decision-making process, you are clogging up the system and reducing dexterity and agility to respond to issues. Wait, almost seems like that clause needs to be, like in the European Union, 
what what is it? They have qualified majority voting. Um, NATO has more countries. I mean, most most of the countries in NATO are also in the European Union. <laughs> um, but I'd kind of think. I mean, the European Union has twenty seven member states. NATO has thirty member states. Mm-hmm. I'd kind of think qualified majority voting, even if it's only in like the Security Council aspect of it, uh, would kind of be a good idea. Um, not not necessarily like one vote can sink the whole ship, <laughs> you know. Um, Potentially, but the issue is that NATO, as a specifically democratic institution, recognizes. Uh, individual sovereignty and uh defense of the member states that uh there's civilian control of the organization uh throughout the entire uh, force structure which leads you to those democratic but potentially less adept uh capacities and maybe qualified majority voting is a consideration but in my opinion probably not something you want to look into, but you do want to restore the structure to the way it was in the 90s and early 2000s when Probably it was broad consensus just generally before you had to play hardball against each other. Yeah, it's, it's probably not going to happen. I'm, I mean, let's be very honest. Um, but I think we also need to recognize that the days of the late 90s, early 2000s are gone. Then that, you know, this is, I mean, if, if NATO 2030 is about approaching the world uh as it is not as it was then you know then the, the, those then those thoughts are are gone and in which case i mean which is basically what this whole report is about anyway i mean it's basically saying we need to adapt <laughs> because the world isn't the same as it was you know 25 years ago um so in in that sense i think there's going to have to be other not necessarily like not necessarily like humongous decisions, but, you know, procedural decisions that might make it more effective, maybe. But, you know, you're right. It's it's uh, it's not an easy call. It is not easy, but I think that Western democracies have stood up to challenges before and are ready to face the brave new world we go into. So with that note, I would like to wish listeners a good morning. Good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are. Good night. (laughs) Thank you, everyone. See you in the next episode. See you in the next episode.